on today's show three games in and three important lessons about this Houston Rockets team a defensive identity is starting to form who is the Rockets go-to guy for this squad and then also the bench is in desperate need of some upgrades we're going to tackle all of that and so much more on today's Locked on Rockets this is Mission Control Houston ignition sequence start throw it up to Jalen Green Goon here in the short row oh my that's the no look Jabari for three and the win. Yeah! Look at Tarisen. Here comes Tarisen. No! T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. The Houston Rockets select Amen Thompson and Cam Whitmore. One thing I have never done is not made the playoffs, and so we want to take that step here as well. Six, five, four, three, two, one. What's up and welcome to another edition of Lockdown Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Gatlin, native Houstonian and credentialed media member. I'm also the host of Lockdown NBA Mondays. Be sure to follow along on Twitter at JT Gatlin and the show, of course, at Lockdown Rockets, free and available wherever you listen to your podcasts, including YouTube. Now, today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off your first purchase. And as always, thank you so much for making Locked on Rockets part of your day every single day, whether it's on your way to work, on your lunch break, in the gym. Thank you for being an everydayer. Thank you for making Locked on Rockets part of your day every single day. Joining us now is your weekly co-host, none other than the Podfather himself, Rockets Wire editor and host of the Logger Line podcast, Ben Dubose. You can track down on Twitter at Ben Dubose here because we are now three games into this Houston Rockets season, an 0-3 start. Not exactly where we would have hoped this team would have been three games into the year, but three games in, three important lessons, three important takeaways, if you will, that we have about this team so far. So we're going to kind of navigate this episode and, and try and tackle some of the things we've learned about this Houston Rockets team through a handful of games already this season. And I think the important one here, Ben, right out of the, right on the surface is we're seeing this team start to, and this, it kind of dates back into a little bit of preseason, but I do think with the improvements, the adjustments that we've seen through three games is we're seeing this team really take on a defense first identity, a defense first mentality. And I think that is now that that identity is kind of permutating itself throughout the entire roster, right? To where we're seeing even guys like Alper and Shingun take really massive strides forward defensively, uh, thinking mm. about his defense, you know, these first few games of the season, even against Golden State, how there were moments where he was able to hold his own on switches against Steph Curry, uh, not getting cooked like he did last year, playing drop coverage against the Warriors and, and Clay Thompson and Curry or against the Blazers and, and Damian Lillard. So, and that's just one guy of this Rockets roster. I know there have been a lot of defensive issues, some miscues. Uh, a lot of these guys trying to get accustomed to a new defensive scheme. It's a mm. new style of play. Ime Doka talked about the fact that they are not a denial team, which means they always want to be underneath on the wings. They don't want to be overplaying shooters on the perimeter. They don't want to allow those easy backdoor opportunities. So it's kind of a stylistic difference for a lot of these guys and how a lot of them have played to this point in their career versus what Ime wants and kind of the expectations that he's setting for them. And one of the fascinating things about it to me is that this stretch is coming without Tari Eason, who on paper is one of your more accomplished 
and versatile defenders who can help you in a number of ways. And he's not even out there because of the lower leg injury. I think the game against the Warriors, you had that stretch in the second half where the Rockets got back into it and briefly took the lead. And it's a reminder of just how impactful Jay Sean Tate is. I, I think back to the offseason when we had these debates about should they keep Jay Sean Tate or KJ Martin? Because it was pretty clear that there was only room in the rotation for one of those guys. And you know, the tendency, especially on social media, because of recency bias, was to argue KJ, and he's a bit flashier anyway. And it's been the bigger factor is it's just been so long since we've seen Jay Sean Tate play at a healthy and winning level. And Jonathan Fagan of the Chronicles had the great line that Jay Sean Tate is a winning player on a team that doesn't win. So how do you quantify that? How do you, you know, display that value? And I think last night was an example of that. Even though they didn't get the win, just getting back into it with a team as loaded as the Warriors, it's really intriguing because you can add within a couple of weeks Tari Eason to this mix and you're really going to have something. And so this is the culture that Ime has been trying to build. I noticed one of the national tweets I was bringing up, um, Nate Duncan, last night. The Rockets have a lot of individual defensive talent. There's been a lot of times that the Warriors have just tried them one-on-one and got nowhere. And I that really stood out to me watching at Toyota Center as well. Cumulatively, there's a lot more talent. You still have the questions about Jalen Green and Alper and Shingun. That's fair. But for the most part, the veterans they brought in and the young guys they're prioritizing and giving minutes to, even Amin Thompson as a rookie, there's just so much length. There's a lot of versatility. There's a lot of bulk. And they've looked the part of what Ime Udoka is trying to build, and that's without Tari Eason. Yeah, and I, I mean, there were there were some moments in that Warriors game where Amin Thompson had Chris Paul dead to rights, just Chris Paul, all all his craft, all mm. the wiggle to his game, everything. Right, right, None right. of it could shake Amin because he's got a level of kind of that innate feel defensively, that yep. that um, understanding, that patience on the defensive side. Not you know you know very disciplined at times, not biting on pump fakes, not falling for the little head fakes or mm-hmm. the shimmies, that kind of thing. And he's got the length and the athleticism to really bother, especially a smaller player like Chris Paul, but. You're right. You know, the Rockets have the makings of a, a very, very good defensive team. One of my predict- predictions coming into the season was that I think that they could very easily be a top 10 defense this season as they kind of start settling into things. The biggest question, like as you kind of already alluded to, right, is there are some questions about, you know, Jalen. Right now, I don't even think, Ben, I think maybe this is a hot take, but I don't think there are any more questions about Alper and Shingun. I think maybe, you know, obviously everybody's well, got situational matchups that might be, you know, unfavorable. But I think by and large, we're learning that LP can be at least a neutral on defense, right? If not even at times a positive. Maybe, but I do think he's a liability when it comes to defensive rebounding. And so if you're giving up second chance mm. opportunities, that was something especially late in the San Antonio game, I think was problematic. So while I agree with you that on switches, he's largely held his own. A couple of possessions against Steph Curry excluded because let's be fair. I mean, Steph is completely unique in terms of that matchup and the difficulties of that. But I do think the defensive rebounding limitations and the likelihood of getting second chance opportunities when all Perrin Shingun is on the floor, that's something that Matt Moore called out late in the San Antonio game that does sort of neutralize it a little bit. And it's it's tough to quantify it against the Spurs too because Wimby is such a a, right. a, a weird That's phenom fair. where you know he's longer and taller than any but literally anybody else in the league except for Boban. So it's tough to like you know that's one matchup that's going to look bad for yeah. most front yeah. courts in the NBA. Yeah, and in fairness, in fairness to Shingun, two of the three matchups have not been friendly to him at all because Kevon Looney is one of the better defensive bigs in the league, and I thought he did a good job of sort of pushing Shingun off his spots, got in some clever sort of nudges to his lower back too to sort 
sort of displace him a little bit. But going forward, I think the matchups are going to be a lot friendlier when you look at, you know, the Hornets, the Kings, the teams they have in the schedule next week. And so hopefully these are going to be ones where Shingun can shine even more in that regard. And and missing out on Tari Eason, obviously, is a really big part. He's just got sure. such a great nose for the ball, even though he's not like a tier, you know, a 99th percentile athlete or not, you know, bigger or taller, stronger than, you know, other guys. He just works harder, right? He's got a great nose for the basketball. Um, his ability to rebound is sorely missed uh, in some of the second units, all that kind of stuff. But I, and I do want to say, as far as just the rebounding issue, I think especially when you're a team that switches as much as the Rockets are doing so far this season, and when you do have a bit of an undersized you know, big at your five spot, you need to gang rebound, right? Kind of similar. Mm -hmm. We can go back to like the small ball pocket rocket days with PJ Tucker running at center. PJ is a phenomenal rebounder. And that whole team had some size, right? They were the thick rockets. You know, they could, James Harden could defend on a post up, all that stuff, but you had to rebound as a team. And so far to this point, I think the rockets have done a poor job of rebounding by committee to close out some solid defensive possessions. By the way, one more parallel to that era. I can think back to the mid to late 2010s when it was first becoming known around the league that James Harden was a really good post defender, but it hadn't really sunk into the national consciousness just yet. And so teams kept trying it, even though it was really playing into James's biggest skill because you want to test him laterally, not with the strength. I think to a degree, you're starting to see not in quite the same way, but you're starting to see early this season teams that try to attack Fred Van Fleet in that way. And it's not that he's as strong as James was, but Fred is so good with his hands. You can really see teams and the Warriors did this quite a few times with Andrew Wiggins. And it felt like Fred got a poke out numerous times when they tried to attack him on the post. And that's something that, you know, it's not just the skill the Rockets have. It's also the veteran savvy they brought in with Fred and with Dylan. And that's something that even though Fred is undersized, and I think on these switches, a lot of teams want to take advantage of him. If you pay attention, Fred's still making a big defensive impact. And, you know, sometimes teams get suckered into just thinking, oh, he's got a few inches on Fred. So this is an easy possession for us. And in reality, it's anything but. No, absolutely. Great point there. And I've got one more point about the defense that I want to bring up before we get into our couple of our other big takeaways here, which is who is the Rockets go to guy for this team offensively? Some one of the major questions that we had coming into this season. And I don't even know if we're going to have an answer anytime soon, but we'll kind of dissect that a little bit. Some of the offensive woes that this team has faced, as well as the issues with the bench. The bench is in desperate need of some upgrades. What can we expect on that front? We're going to get to both of those points here in just one moment. First, today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Because right now, new customers can get $150, $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins and all you have to do is wager $5. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there is no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. And they've got a wide range of betting options. In fact, right now, you take a look at the outright betting favorites for Super Bowl 58. The Eagles and the Chiefs both at plus five. You got the 49ers at plus 600 right behind them. And rounding up the top five, you have the Miami Dolphins at plus 950 and the Dallas Cowboys at plus 1,000. They've also got spreads, player props, over-unders, and so much more to choose from. So visit FanDuel.com slash NBA to get in on the action this NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. And continuing on here at Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Now, it's that perfect time of the year where basketball is in full steam. The NBA season is underway. You've got to go check out our Locked On Ultimate NBA season preview, a six-episode series with all 30 of our Locked On NBA team shows from contenders to tankers. We go so in-depth into the biggest storylines heading into this NBA season. Catch all six episodes on Locked On NBA on YouTube or wherever 
you get your podcast. The Rockets were actually in the what's next phase. Uh, so one tier above the tankers here. So the Rockets graduating out of the tankers tier uh, this season. It was such a great feeling being in that group, Ben, instead of having to talk about lottery balls and ping pongs and, you know, all the, the draft stuff down the line. Um, one more point that I wanted to bring up about the Rockets defense before we get into some of the, pretty much the biggest question mark about this team, which is who is the go-to guy, uh, is I, I've been really impressed with the Rockets and their scram switching so far this season. So hmm. just to break it down really quick for anybody unfamiliar with the term, scram switching is what happens when, you know, let's say Fred and Alpie are involved in a pick and roll or whatever, or they're guarding two guys and Fred or LP gets switched on to say Steph Curry, right? And then Fred Van Vliet mm -hmm. is on Kevon Looney down low. A scram switch is when another player on the court identifies that there is a mismatch where Fred is now suddenly guarding the opposing team's center. And then those two players switch before the opposing team is able to take advantage of the mismatch. So in this case, a scram switch would involve, say, Jabari Smith Jr. or Dylan Brooks identifying that Fred is now stuck on Kevon Looney. And then those mm -hmm. two players switch before Golden State is able to exploit the mismatch. I do think the Rockets have done a phenomenal job of making sure that they're not leaving Fred on an island or, or smaller guys on an mm -hmm. island with bigs or vice versa, you know, kind of some, you know, uh, other mismatches here and there that might happen as a result of the switching. Because when you do switch, it flattens out an opposing offense. That's great. It's a great defensive scheme. But what it does leave you open to is it's susceptible to one-on-one -on -one mismatches here and there. Mm -hmm. And by and large, the Rockets have held their own in some of those one-on-one -on -one mismatches, even like we said, Alper and Shingun guarding Steph Curry and, and some of the other guards through these early games and doing a pretty decent job of it. But I've been really impressed by their communication on some of those scram switches. Now we get to our kind of big question here, Ben. We don't know who the go-to guy is for this team. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think there's optimism, hope still that like Jalen Green turns into that guy or that maybe Jabari is able to be kind of an elite play finisher and, and be that guy. But this is going to be kind of one of the side effects of this everybody eats or equal opportunity offense that Ime Udoka has mm -hmm. is we just don't know who that guy is. And it kind of seems like it changes on a game-to-game -game basis at this point. Yeah, and I think it's also more glaring in the context of a lot of other rebuilds, a lot of other young teams that the Rockets and especially the fans frequently compare Houston to. You look at Oklahoma City, obviously there's Shea Gilgis, Alexander, and to a lesser extent, Chet Holmgren. You look at San Antonio, there's Wemby and Devin Vassell. That's a game in which the Rockets led most of the way, but the Spurs took over late. Some help from the officials, but I digress. And then you can look all around the NBA, and so many of the young teams have the him, so to speak. They have the tip of the spear. And in Houston, they're still trying to figure that out. Jalen Green has been better against the Spurs and the Warriors. And, you know, this is all a small sample. But again, the theme of this episode is, you know, what have we learned through three games? And to this point, look, the last two games, the Rockets have had leads midway through the fourth quarter, and they have not been able to close. And while Jalen has been better, he had the dreadful opener against the Magic last couple of games. He's been, you know, about where he was a year ago statistically. He actually had a team-high nine rebounds against the Warriors. He hasn't been that guy that's just taken over down the stretch. Now, some of it, I think, you know, Jalen's shot profile is especially dependent on making threes that has not been there for him yet. And if his, if his three ball is not falling, he just doesn't have the other go-to plays, especially if he's not getting a friendly whistle, which the Rockets collectively were not in San Antonio, to have a ton of other options. So that may play into it as well. Hopefully, as the years progress, he advances to a different level with that. But the bottom line is Jalen, he's shown flashes, but he's not quite that guy yet. Jabari, again, better against the Warriors. But again, the start to this season has been somewhat of a reminder that preseason and summer league are a completely different ball game compared to regular season NBA games where teams are trying. I mean, Thompson, Cam Whitmore, 
Cam's barely played. I mean, he's a rookie. It's especially at point guard. It's so difficult. We're seeing Scoot Henderson in Portland go through the same struggles. So it's not really fair to expect a rookie to show much in that regard in year one. The closest thing to a him the Rockets have is Alper and Shingoon, but there's a couple of little things you have to keep in mind. Hey, first off, fans, I am so happy. So first off, stamina. Now, I know the Spurs game, you mentioned earlier, Wemby, that's a unique challenge and it did go overtime. But I thought when Ime leaned on Shingoon extensively, he did seem to wear down a little bit as that game progressed. The poster dunk over Zach Collins, notwithstanding. The other factor, though, with Shingoon is that for him to really have positive value in terms of, you know, the him factor, you have to really lean into him because there are going to be you, some. You can't limit- do it halfway, right? You got to, you yeah. got to, you got to. Especially because, it. you know, he's not an above the rim player. We talked about some of the defensive limitations. While he has gotten better, he's certainly not a major contributor on that end. There are some defensive rebounding limitations. Hang on, ben. I, I, of the starters of the starting lineup. I'd say Shingun's been the third best defender of the starters so far. That's not a it's stretch. Po- it's possible, but I would say he doesn't have the upside that the others do that, and that's to improve. Fair. Sure, right, yeah. And so, like for me, long term, it's like is Shingun your him? Maybe, but if you want to really make that model work in terms of building this into a contender, then you have to really, really lean into him just to you know maximize his archetype. And maybe Ime is willing to do that. And maybe it'll be even easier when, as we mentioned earlier, there's going to be friendlier matchups for all P than the last two. But that's sort of the big question, because to this point, when you look at the rookies, when you look at Jalen and Jabari and, you know, Tari's not really an offensive takeover type anyway. Shingun is easily your most ready to be that guy, that go to option in the half court when things get sticky of the current team. It's just does that make sense for you? In a season where it's not just about the here and now, it's also about building the model for a year or two from now when you're really trying to win at a higher level. Does it make sense for you to invest that much in Shingun in that capacity? And maybe it does, but that's one of the big questions I think that Ime Udoka is going to have to sort of feel out over the next couple of months is, is LP clearly that guy? And if he is, then in my opinion, you've really got to maximize that. I'm still holding out hope that the front court duo of Al P and Jabari can actually be complementary of one another because I do think, you know, in theory, their skill sets should, well, the, mm-hmm. their their theoretical skill sets should complement each other because to this point, Jabari hasn't quite delivered on being that, you know, supersized three and D, you know, you know, superior, almost, you know, a star level role player, if you will, which, you know, we know that Jabari is capable of much more than that, but just kind of that, that version, that archetype of playing off of Shingun, catching and shooting, playing good defense, being that off ball helper, um, kind mm. of helping clean up on the glass a little bit, maybe, maybe more of a rim deterrent than LP. He hasn't quite delivered on those things yet. So I do wonder if, you know, that front court duo is going to come to a head at some point down the line where the Rockets have to or are kind of forced to choose between those two guys, which path, which avenue do they ultimately want to take? And right now, if you had to pick between the two, it's no contest. Al P is clearly the better player mm-hmm. right now. Uh, but like you said, what is Al P ceiling? How does that work compared to Jabari? And I do wonder just kind of, you know, if we do see them kind of lean further into it, then, you know, it, it's going to 
Jalen and Jabari's roles are going to change a little bit, right? If they mm-hmm. if they do lean further into the shin hub offense or, or kind of riding LP a bit more offensively, which I think that they can do, right? To this point, mm-hmm. we're starting to see a budding chemistry between he and Fred Van Vliet. Yep. Fred is starting to understand how to hit him in the pocket when he's rolling. They've In three games, they developed a very quick chemistry to where that first game against the Magic, it felt like Fred and LP could not connect. They were not on the same well, page whatsoever. They actually did very briefly to start the second half, and that was the stretch in which the Rockets cut it from 16 to 1 before then all of a sudden it exploded in the other direction. But even in game one, there were the flashes. It was just on a very limited basis. For sure. Yeah. And but then they, and they've, they've built on it. Right. And I think there's there's right. like a, a level of kind of exponential growth between those two guys with Fred being a veteran point guard, understanding how to facilitate and get guys involved. And LP being a very experienced roller and understanding how he needs to roll the timing, the screening angles, all of that. And then being such a crafty finisher that he doesn't need the pass like on the money. He doesn't need to be kind of spoon fed his buckets as a roll man, a la a, you know, Bruno Fernando type, maybe Um, he's got a lot of capability to just go get his own. And all you have to do is make sure you put the ball in the right spot for him. And then he can create, he can, you know, all the up fakes, the twists, the pirouettes, all that. Um, I think that's kind of going to kind of be the Rockets baseline level of offense is a lot of Fred and a lot of LP moving forward, at least what it looks like so far through three games. Yeah. And I do think that you're going to see some matchups moving forward that are more conducive to Fred Van Vliet. I think the Golden State matchup was a little rough for him. I think especially when you see Fred go up against younger teams like the Spurs, that's where even being a little undersized and not being you know, a particularly explosive athlete, that's the kind of matchup where Fred, with his veteran savvy, can really pick his spots to make a big imprint on the game. And the Rockets going forward, it's not an easy schedule, but you don't have nearly the veteran experience that they did against Golden State. So I think moving forward, you'll see Fred and LP. And some of it was just Fred having a bad game against the Warriors, let's be clear. But I also think the better matchups are moving forward for Fred. I will also say, as far as LP, this is the delicate balance for Ime Udoka. And it can't be to one extreme or the other. We mentioned earlier that you know you have to consider not just the now, but the big picture. If this isn't your formula for two, three years down the road, when the Rockets are actually trying to contend for the playoffs and more, then you know how much does it make sense to lean away from that now and not develop guys in the right responsibilities for where you envision them long term? The flip side is that, and we've seen the last couple of years, the rot of losing is a real thing. You're already 0-3, and and while that's still a small sample, there will come a point where the losses are so much that even if the process is right, at some point, guys have slumped shoulders and you you start seeing some regression. So that's sort of the delicate balance that Ime Udoka has to sort of weigh with all these factors. There may be a long-term blueprint. But there's also value to sort of maximizing the short term, getting some feel good wins, like hopefully Wednesday against the Hornets, and then that ultimately helping everyone, the collective, be in the right frame of development to uh, improve moving forward. I have a counter to that point that you just made, and I want to get there in just one moment, as well as the last major takeaway from this Rockets team through three games, which is the fact that the bench is in desperate need of some Mm -hmm. major upgrades, and that's going to be one of the factors holding back this Rockets team this season. We're going to get there in just one moment. First, today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. You shouldn't have to worry when you're buying tickets to your next big event, right? You're trying to go out and have a good time. Why be stressed during the process, right? So many ticketing apps are you know, clunky. The UI is, is bad. You can't ever figure out where your seats actually are. And here's my least favorite, right? You go to fill out all the information. You hit submit like you're trying to pay for the tickets. And then for some reason, all the information disappears. And it's like you got to punch it all in a second. It's the worst, right? 
that doesn't happen with Game Time. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events happening near you. Game Time is the only ticketing app that gives you complete peace of mind with your purchase. You can see the view from your seat before you buy, so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. They have all-in prices, and they show your total up front, so there's no hidden fees that they spring on you last minute. You've got to check out Game Time. It is the best way to get your tickets for whatever event you're trying to attend. Take the guesswork out of buying your tickets with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code LOCKEDONNBA. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N-N-B-A for 20 bucks off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. And final segment here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. We're going to talk about the Rockets bench here in just a moment. But Ben, that point that you made at the end of segment two, I wanted to kind of, you know, offer a counterpoint of sorts because some of the logic that I remember us discussing here when we were debating the whole, you know, bring James Harden back, don't bring him back, whatever. Mm -hmm. We always talked about Harden being kind of that transitional piece, right? That piece that would elevate the team to a certain level even if that didn't necessarily mean getting back to a championship level of play, but just elevating you out of the basement of the NBA. And I think back to relevancy, back to relevancy, right? I think the same kind of approach can be had, even if Shingun and his ceiling isn't necessarily a true playoff, you know, caliber championship contender, whatever. Yeah. I think you could still lean into that style of play and go full bore with the shin hub offense and all that. Even if you top out as like, a fifth, sixth seed, whatever, you get back to a place where you're competitive yeah. and then you make the next the next upgrade, yeah. the next move where you swing for the fence and go acquire another star. Maybe that means trading Shingun down the line or pairing him with another piece that's more complimentary, whatever. I think you just have to start organizationally taking the steps to get back to playing relevant basketball and having a guy that you can clearly identify who is the best guy of the young core right now in Alperin Shingun it would probably be a mistake not to lean further yes. into his skill set at this point. Assuming it does translate into a baseline number of wins. Yeah. Yes. That's the one caveat. You can't be six and 25 on Christmas and not expect there to be some regression. And I will say again, they were the better team in San Antonio. They win that game nine times out of 10, the Warriors to the Warriors and the Rockets did have a lead midway through the fourth quarter. So it's not time to say the sky is falling. It's just three games out of 82. They've got a game which they should be favored at home against Charlotte on Wednesday. Assuming there is a baseline level of competency in the win-loss record, then yes, I agree with you. I guess the scenario that I'm worried about is that if somehow, you know, even if it makes you a little bit more efficient, if you're still not winning and it's not what you view as your most likely long-term roadmap, then at that point you may have to have some uh, some tough conversations. But truth be told, in that scenario, you're probably having a lot tougher conversations than that. <laughs> you, you basically don't want the Minnesota Kevin Love effect, right? Where he's like putting sure. up crazy numbers, 25 and 15, but you're still losing, you know, 50, 60 right. plus games a season. It doesn't matter if you're putting up numbers on a losing team. Alp could put up, you know, could average a triple-double, 30, 10, and 10, but if the Rockets yeah, yeah, yeah. are losing 50 plus games, who cares, right? You can right, average right. insane stats on a bad team. It's do those stats actually are they conducive to a winning level of basketball, which the numbers that we have here uh, per uh, clutch fans, Dave Hardesty, good friend of the program, uh, one of the co-hosts over at Rockets Watch. He pulled the numbers for the offensive and defensive ratings for the Rockets starters uh, through three games. Very small sample size. So you have to take it with a grain of salt because it's very early on in the season. But through three games right now, the, the Rockets starting lineup in 56 minutes played. 110.6 offensive rating with a Mm -hmm. 99.1 defensive rating. So adding a little perspective to that, 
last year's starting lineup, which featured uh, still Alperin Shingun, Jabari Smith Jr., and Jalen Green, but with Kevin Porter Jr. and K.J. Martin instead of Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks, had a 111.5 offensive rating, so a skosh better on offense, but dramatically different on defense with a 120.8 defensive rating. So clearly... Not only the upgrades of Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks have been monumental, but then the other three have also taken strides, right? I think Alperin Shingun most noticeably of the three really benefiting from having the veterans in the lineup now replacing the other two guys. Fred yep. and Dylan have just elevated the defense as a whole. Um, but even Jabari and Jalen have shown some moments where they've been more locked in, more engaged defensively, still plenty of mistakes to clean up. But it's clear right now that the Rockets starting lineup, there is something there. That is a quality starting lineup. They're able yep. to play some strong minutes together. The issue is the bench, man. The bench has yeah, been so that's where it falls bad apart. through yep. three games. And it's a lot of pressure on this bench unit, Ben, because you've got a Men Thompson who's a rookie. You mentioned earlier yep. that it's a lot of expectations to be placed on his shoulders to be kind as of a point impact. guard, especially. Yeah, as an impact player. And even he's not even fully the point guard of the bench unit, right? Because they're playing him in kind of a pseudo off ball role at times. Right. Reggie Bullock. But any sort of creation responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I just I don't see how this team is able to find and, and look, getting getting back Tari Eason will help a lot. Um, yeah, getting back Tari gives the bench a little bit more flexibility. You're you're probably still see some, you know, Jeff Green at the five lineup. Some some, you know, obviously Tari Eason is a guy who rolls out of bed and is like practically, you know, 10.6 rebounds in his sleep kind of guy. Um, yeah. He would be really beneficial to have in some of those games where you're you're hurting on the uh, the defensive glass, not be able to close out possessions. He gives you he wins a lot of 50 50 balls, gives you know, go, gives you all the hustle plays, all that stuff. He's kind of a one-man wrecking crew when he comes off the bench. But Tari by himself is not what this bench unit actually is missing. They have no scoring punch off the bench. And that's why you're seeing the Rockets stagger their guard rotation, their lineups, because their heavy hitters are yep. LP, Jalen, and Fred right now. And that's why you're seeing Ime stagger the lineups the way that he has been to this point, because he basically has to have one of those three in at all times, or the offense just completely craters. Yeah, absolutely. And this is where I know it's redacted, but the loss of Kevin Porter Jr. really has had an impact, particularly yeah. when combined but not having Tari Eason, because that's two of your three most promising bench players that Rafael Stone, Pat Fertitta, and everyone in basketball operations had on their roster when they were putting this together in the offseason. I know Amin Thompson is in the rotation as well, but again, expectations for a rookie fairly minimal in terms of realistic expectations to contribute to winning this season. The three off the bench were Kevin Porter Jr., Jay Sean Tate and Tari Eason. And now you're missing two of the three. And by missing KPJ, he's also your one creator of the bunch. And so the Rockets still have not really replaced that. We know they made the trade for Victor Oladipo, but that's for matching salary down the line. Victor is not healthy. And I guess there's a small chance where maybe Victor gets healthy and can provide some value to the Rockets, although he's a bit more defense first, assuming he's able to get back to health. Bigger picture, I mean, 90 plus percent, we know the the point of that transaction was to set the table for down the line, but between Oladipo not being able to be aggregated in deals until December 15th and December 15th, you know, you don't see many in-season trades until then anyway, because that's the date in which most guys who signed to the offseason can be dealt. The Rockets have to sort of go through this six weeks, and even when they get Tari Eason back, it's not really going to fill the creation role. And it makes it more difficult to stagger because, yeah, it's easy to say, well, you know, take Jalen out a little bit early and then 
you can bring him back to anchor that unit. Well, what happens in the interim when you have to take him out of the starting lineup early? Yeah, because then, know, then the whole... starting lineup that is clearly actually really effective right. playing together, then that it hurts that lineup too. Yeah, so in the big picture, and we talked about this a lot after everything happened with KPJ, it simplifies roles. I don't think it was likely that KPJ was going to be a part of your formula for a number of reasons, even before everything went down in the last couple of months. I don't think he was likely to be a part of the formula for a contending Rockets team later this decade. With that said, there is value in getting from point A to point B. And in the very short term, he could have been a useful piece to help address many of these deficiencies. And I do think there were a bit too many expectations on Reggie Bullock. Let's just be blunt. Guys in the NBA age out at 32 and 33 all the time. There are exceptions to the rule, like obviously LeBron James and Kevin Durant. But historically, this is an age where players tend to fall off a cliff, especially those that are especially valuable defensively, because that's when you start to lose a little bit of lateral quickness. And while I'm not saying this is clearly happening after three games, there's a reason why you were able to get Reggie Bullock for the minimum. This is a point in which it would not be unprecedented at all for him to have a dramatic fall off. And if that's the case, you know, I don't know what you do. I mean, you can try Cam Whitmore, but it's the same as with Amin Thompson. You might see some flashes and there's more upside than Reggie for sure. But can you reasonably expect Cam Whitmore to address on a night in, night out basis many of these problems and to be a fundamental piece to the winning puzzle it's as a tough, rookie. It's really tough to have Probably two not. rookies out there playing heavy minutes, even, even if Cam's yeah, only and, 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 that, and, then you, and then you put them together. So, yeah, it's just tough. And, you know, I think by the deadline and perhaps as early as December when the trade window opens and the Rockets have more options in terms of guys they signed this offseason, but more notably Victor Oladipo, who they traded for in uh, October with the intent of using him as matching salary. I don't think it's that impossible to find guys like that. It's worth noting that Kelly Oubre is playing a key role for Philadelphia. He's someone who, you know, fell through the cracks to where he took, I believe, a minimum deal. So the point is, this is a skill that around the NBA is not that hard to, I guess, find on the market. It's just the Rockets' hands are tied right now because there's just, you know, there's not much of a trade market. And even if there was, they don't have the pieces eligible to be dealt to really make that work. Now, it's, so it's, until it's, then, worth, it's worth noting, Victor could be traded by himself right yeah, now. True. You just can't aggregate his salary with anybody else, which but he only does limit a little bit. But yeah. he only makes nine and a half million compared to about 15 and a half for KPJ. So you do have a, you know, a slightly tougher route to make the math work with that. And then, you know, I guess you can argue, you know, the Rockets do have three second run picks this year. And I doubt they want to have... I don't think want to keep all of them because how would you roster all of those guys? So, you know, perhaps there's a way you can package some of your 2024 seconds and, you know, Victor and any other matching salary and make it happen. But uh, until you do, it's going to be bumpy because, uh, again, I would like to see Reggie Bullock improve. I'm not writing him off. I'm just saying that when you factor in that he was available for the minimum and he's, you know, 32, 33 years old, an age in which, you know, three and D type role players historically do see a lot of regression i don't think you can count on him being a certainty to get a lot better and fill a viable rotation role be it creation shooting whatever you need and, off and the that's bench. not and that's not that's not even reggie's bag right he was brought in he was brought in to be a you know a, a shooter and shooter. he hasn't yeah, hit yeah, any yeah. shots i mean that's and, another and weakness, in to play defense yeah, yeah, yeah. and his defenses look like it slipped so reggie was never going to be the answer for the bench he was going to maybe plug a little bit of a hole there um the silver lining is the rockets you know it, it kind of comes down to 
pain tolerance, right? Can the Rockets last through this next month or so, this bumpy yes. part of the season uh, where their bench is going to be sorely missing, you know, a bit of a scoring punch before they're able to have Victor Oladipo and be able to aggregate his salary because you can take Victor Oladipo and pair him with a Jay Sean Tate or a Jeff Green or a Jock Landale, any number of those guys and increase that salary and get to about that $20 million range ballpark and go get a bench impact contributor, somebody to help buoy that bench unit to really help this team take that next step to help the starters, right? So you have that little bit of a scoring punch off the bench. You can go get an impact contributor with those guys pairing some of the seconds. Nobody wants to make those deals right now, though, because it's still the early part of the season. Everybody's got their pie in the sky hopes for how good their teams can be this year. The other silver lining that I want to leave you guys with before we wrap this episode up is... Amin Thompson is going to get better every single game yes. that he plays. Yes, now, that is the case uh, for optimism. Uh, uh, Amin might not be the complete answer, but he's going to continue to get better every single game that he yes. plays. And at some point, it might actually, we might be looking at it like, well, hey, like Amin's averaging like 12, 15 off the bench and he's doing it, yeah. you know, really easily. But it's going to be a stark comparison to how he was at the start of the season, which is why it feels so bad right now compared to right. where he's probably at, say, at the midway point of the season. So that's your other reason for optimism is to, hey, the Rockets have the yes. ability to make a deal further down the line and then B a min is going to get gradually better each and every game that he plays the more reps that he gets we're already seeing him in that Warriors game he came off the bench and had a you know a really quick scoring yeah, punch off the he bench. was a ton better against the Warriors ton better than the yeah. first two games so again give and you can trust team, him defensively which you can't with most rookies absolutely right so give this team a little bit of time maybe Emate opts to try Cam Whitmore a little bit if Reggie Bullock continues to miss every single three this side of the Mississippi and looks like he's still sliding a little bit defensively. I, I do think Cam Whitmore should get a look uh, before Tari Eason comes back into the rotation. But Ben, having a healthy, we should mention having a healthy Jock Landale would help as well, yeah. but he's not going to fix the creation. That would give you, you know, a bigger body to throw out there in certain mm-hmm. matchups instead of Jeff Green or Alper and Shingoon. But when it comes to this creation, I think that's where you're either going to need amend to continue taking steps or eventually more likely make that bigger trade midseason. You know the drill, Ben. Let everyone know where to track you down at, man. Yep. Ben Dubose on Twitter, the logger line on Twitter, the Rockets Wire on Twitter slash X and RocketsWire.usatoday.com for all your daily Houston Rockets news coverage. That's going to do it for another edition of Locked on Rockets. As always, thank you so much for checking out the show. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Just search Locked on Rockets. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. What have you learned about this Houston Rockets team? What lessons have you learned about this squad through three games? Let us know in the YouTube comments. But as always, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back right here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. 